Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. There's an opportunity here to use the analogy of what's going on in the automotive industry uh, around connectivity and apps and software and sensors and bring that same kind of innovation into the medical field. And, and the promise of that would be similar kind of promise, more efficient, higher quality, more responsive and engaging healthcare. Hi, this is Tim Noonan, your host for Horsepower to Hyperloop series In the Mix, where we talk with Kettering's newsmakers and innovators. And that was John Grotelars, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillrom, a leading medical equipment provider in the Chicago area. Like other medical equipment providers, starting in March 2020, Grotelars and Hillrom have played a major role in responding to the pandemic. I wanted to hear the story from his perspective, as well as his views on how healthcare may be different going forward and if we are better prepared to face another pandemic, if one comes along. Grotelars has a long history in medical technology. While studying at General Motors Institute, now Kettering University, in the late 1980s, Grotelars co-opted for five years in the automotive industry at General Motors. Upon graduation, he determined his real desire was to get more involved with product development and innovation, so he pursued his MBA at Columbia with plans to change industries when he got out, finding himself inspired by another Kettering graduate who had founded a medical device company in the cardiovascular space. Grotelars realized that medical device technology was a very innovative, fast-moving area where he felt he could leverage his engineering expertise to help bring innovative, life-saving technologies to the marketplace. Starting in biotech, he moved through business development, sales, marketing, and eventually management at a series of companies like Boston Scientific, Beckton Dickinson, and Bard before landing in 2018 at Hillrom as CEO. Hi, John. Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops. Thanks for joining us and giving us a look inside this pandemic we've all been living with for the past year or so. I just thought your perspective, given where you were sitting on a company that uh, is having to do with some the pretty the biggest issues right now in the country, would be interesting to people to hear. At the same time, you may want to expand further than, than what I have in mind. So you've been at Hillrom as CEO for a couple of years, right? Yes, almost. Tell me about that transition and what was it that attracted you to Hillrom and a little bit about the overview. When I looked at it, there was an immense amount of solutions, to put it that way, that Hillrom is doing in this field. So tell me a little bit about what Hillrom is doing, and then we can dive deeper into the present day. Sure. Hillrom was going through a leadership transition. I got a call about a CEO role. And it really fit everything I was looking for. It was a medium-sized company. It had recently transformed itself quite a bit through acquisitions and uh, diversified itself into a broader scope of solutions and products. Everything from, from the frontline care, primary care physician's office 
and all those physical assessment tools and thermometry and vital signs equipment, all the way to the OR and OR equipment, and then to uh, the traditional HILROM of ICU and med surge beds, as well as respiratory equipment. So it was an attractive portfolio, a very well-known name and brand, and a really respected brand in the marketplace. And what was most interesting to me was it was ripe for new management to bring in a perspective on innovation that was built on, on what was there and you know had a vision towards how do you take these products and bring them into a connected care environment and an environment where you can overlay digital solutions and data on top of traditional equipment and uh, vital signs equipment and beds and sensors and so on and bring a higher level of solutions to healthcare systems around the world as a result. So the attraction was great company, great brand, recently diversified uh, into a broader portfolio and really ripe for where my passions were around innovation and uh, driving a innovation-led agenda to uh, increase shareholder value. Help me with one term that you use so that I can understand it better is connected care. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, so our vision of the company that we've put together since I've joined is advancing connected care. So if you think about even the automobile as an example, take the automobile and think about how connected that automobile is today versus how it was 10 years ago. So now we have automobiles with not just with sensors and self-driving cars, but you also have a connected ecosystem for ride sharing and for food delivery and for all kinds of logistics support around last mile delivery and so on. So, you know, when I looked at Hillrom, I saw tremendous high quality medical equipment, beds, ICU beds, ventilators, vital signs equipment, thermometry, respiratory equipment. And I said, you know, there's an opportunity here to use the analogy of what's going on in the automotive industry around connectivity and apps and software and sensors and bring that same kind of innovation into the medical field. And uh, and the promise of that would be similar kind of promise, more efficient, higher quality, more responsive and engaging healthcare, much like we're seeing in our consumer world, right? With all the conveniences we're become so accustomed to on our smartphones. So a big part of what I've been leading at the company is exactly that kind of innovation agenda that drives that connectivity as a foundational set of requirements to have secure connected devices in the healthcare ecosystem, but also then drive a higher level of value to uh, provide higher quality outcomes, better patient engagement and better patient satisfaction and lower complications as a result. When you landed in 2018, you weren't probably thinking about a pandemic. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about how the pandemic, first of all, how much that has changed what you're doing, your priorities, where you're putting the energies by you, I mean, Hillrom, because I know you're doing ventilators to start with, plus a lot more. So how did the pandemic change your course, if at all? We can go on so many different angles here, but I'll try and keep it focused to you know how it impacted our business first, and maybe we can talk about organizationally impacts as well. You know, we got early signs of this about a year ago. Uh, we're now in early February having this interview. And literally about a year ago, we were getting signs from our China organization 
that they really were just getting word about this virus that was circulating in China, and they had a dire need for thermometry equipment and vital signs equipment. And we did everything we could to respond to that. And then a few weeks later, we got those same emergency panic calls from Italy and then throughout Europe around the need for similar equipment, everything from thermometry to vital signs equipment. And when I say vital signs, I'm talking about temperature, your blood pressure, your heart rate, the typical devices that your physician would use to do an assessment of, of any patient. And then also ICU and ICU equipment, ICU beds. We don't sell our ventilation equipment in China or in Europe currently, so we weren't getting a call around urgent needs for that. However, when early March came around, uh, those same types of calls were coming in. I'll tell you how it really kind of manifested itself in the United States. We knew from early indications in China and Europe that we were going to be called upon to really help in this pandemic with parts of our portfolio that were really going to be in high need. So we responded as best we could. We ended up ramping up production in some areas two times the normal level, and in the case of ventilators, over 10 times the normal level to respond. But the way the need came together in the United States is an interesting story. I was looking for a way to give a donation to uh, U.S. hospitals. So I reached out to my network and tried to find out who, who would be the best intermediary to determine how to give this donation. And the donation was going to be for equipment and, and ICU beds, particularly, and ventilators, because we knew we had a, a really ideal ventilator that was designed for a pandemic, quite frankly, to help deal with this looming crisis. So in, in search for finding a vehicle to make this donation through the American Hospital Association, they put me in touch with senior officials in the administration in charge of disaster recovery and preparedness response. And through that communication and then through um, my, the request made to me to get a coalition of CEOs for all the ventilator companies together, we rapidly pulled together an industry consortium to help respond to the need uh, that was going to be emerging in the United States with a predicted terrible shortage of ventilators that was predicted at the time. And when now, was that? What, when was that, that coalition? That was in mid-March. Mid in mid-March. And by the end of March, within two weeks, we had assembled the coalition. We had assembled uh, what the requirements would be. And, and the government was issuing Defense Production Act orders for this equipment across the entire industry of the top five or six uh, companies. And Hillrom was one of those companies selected. And uh, you know, we, as a result, we responded to, to the call and rapidly ramped up production as, as quickly as we could to deliver our ventilator solution to, uh, to the American public. And of course, ventilators have gotten so much news uh, more last spring than recently, because I guess the treatments have changed to somewhat and the nature of the disease has changed. But what you were saying is that there's a whole portfolio of things that are required in this pandemic. Uh, am I not correct on that? Yeah, it is. And ventilators got a tremendous amount of early airtime because the predictions were it was, it was going to be as a respiratory disease, it was going to lead to a lot of patients on ventilation. And as we learned, uh, fortunately, other therapies, including simple things like turning the patient over on their stomach, would help that patient breathe. And other treatments such as steroids and other more advanced treatments that later became available were better for mortality and patient survival than putting patients on ventilation too quickly. 
So ventilation ended up being the last thing you want to do if absolutely necessary versus trying every other therapy in advance of that, including oxygen therapy and the other medications I mentioned. So fortunately, ventilation did not end up being as required. The stockpiles are now filled for ventilation equipment because of the action that was taken by the federal government. Other equipment like ICU beds and thermometry and vital signs equipment ended up being the area where the sustained demand for Hillroms products were uh, were required in countries around the world. So this may not be the right way to phrase the question, so answer it as you wish, but what share of Hillroms mind and your mind did the pandemic have in August of 2020 that was different than how you were going about your business in August of 2019? Oh, yeah, it was from the beginning of March all the way through the fall of last year, 2020, August, September, even October. Our need to scale up and ramp up production and serve patients and caregivers around the world was really a mission moment for our company. That is our mission, is to improve and enhance outcomes for patients and caregivers. And this was our calling. We were really called upon. We delivered. We jumped through a lot of hoops while we're working remotely for our office staff, doing all this and forming partnerships with some very unlikely uh, partners in the automotive business, as an example, Fiat Chrysler, and then also Honeywell. These companies were largely idle, if you'll recall, because they shut down their factories and they were looking to help also. So we partnered with both Fiat and Honeywell to help ramp up production of components required to build and scale up our manufacturing. Can an automobile company, I mean, it doesn't seem like the parts would be transferable. No, they're not, but their skills of supplier management and procurement and contracting and having exceptional supply chains that work at a a level of scale that is much higher than the medical business was very, very helpful. And they were just selfless about it. And I can't say enough good things about them and their teams because they just literally picked up the phone and looked for a way to help. And they they really contributed largely to our effort to try and scale up by having this set of skills of supply chain expertise to lend to our supply base and and open up new suppliers that they knew of that could help out. Did you have to ramp up R&D? Did you have to add employees? Did the company accordion out? What happened from that standpoint? We launched five new products during the pandemic within record time that we felt were potentially useful products that could enhance treatment for these patients. One of them was a, a vital signs device that can be used remotely so that if you had to have a patient in isolation and you couldn't physically be with that patient, whether that was in a hospital environment across a wall, or you wanted that patient to be isolated in their home, but you wanted to monitor their status uh, with a high quality vital signs device. We developed a connected device through a smartphone application and a Bluetooth connection or cell phone connection to monitor patients' oxygen levels, their heart rate, respiratory rate, and their temperature. So that's an example of one of the innovations that we came up with. Others were helping to adapt patients into this proning position where they lie on their stomach to help their breathing and several other, you know, small innovations that we thought were helpful in this pandemic. We did pivot our R&D portfolio to address the need and found out that we could innovate and bring products to market even faster than we had imagined. 
when a crisis was upon us and we needed to communicate very quickly and make difficult decisions on scope or product, uh, we were able to manage through that very quickly and efficiently. When we spoke earlier, I think you had said one of your initiatives, your priorities was digitization of a lot of your portfolio. I want to ask that inside of another question. Is that a result of a post-pandemic or anticipated post-pandemic way the world's going to look for a company such as yours? Or is that different? And how is that world going to look from your standpoint, from the medical technology standpoint? Are we going to have more options, be better prepared? Et cetera, et cetera. So there's a yeah. lot in that. Go for it as you wish. Yeah. Uh, so we had developed this vision of advancing connected care prior to the pandemic. And uh, we we're on our way of moving our portfolio in that direction, as well as changing the way we worked inside the company. We had kicked off a, a large IT project of transforming our workflow inside the company. So that was well underway for almost two years prior to March of last year. And what the pandemic has served to do is just accelerate everything, everything like we're doing now on a Zoom call or a Zoom podcast to the way we work inside of our offices and the way we develop products uh, for our customers. So this pandemic has only served to accelerate the vision that we had mapped out and showed us how relevant this effort was to transform our company to become more and more digital and more and more connected because Our healthcare workers need additional capacity. They need their workload to become easier and more productive, and they need their flow of communication to be more efficient and documented, right? You know, a big part of healthcare is documenting everything in an electronic health record. So it's there for for the future and for better diagnosis in the future. So all those things have become so much more relevant. And of course, telehealth as an example, basically a Zoom call with a patient and a caregiver to help diagnose, help follow up, help with their mental status and all other things that can be done virtually. So so the pandemic has definitely been an accelerator of all things digital, but it has also, I think, left us with a patient experience in healthcare that we will not be able to unring the bell, so to speak, that telehealth and telemedicine and virtual visits will be with us in some way for a long time to come. And then we'll be looking for ways to enhance what we can do on a virtual visit by adding technology, things like wearables and technology like that, that can help a caregiver or a doctor make a better diagnosis or check in on status of a patient uh, remotely while getting high quality vital signs back from the patient in a virtual format. I'm also hearing echoes of bioinformatics. Are you involved in a player in that area as well? And is that yeah, we, changing as a result changing. of all this? Yeah, I think, I think in the area of wearables and high quality, seeing a lot of consumer wearables in the forms of watches or, or other devices you can put your fingers on as an example for your EKG signal. And those are really good devices and they help raise awareness and they help potentially patients self-direct towards a physician that they might need to see, as a cardiologist in that example. But then the next level will be, okay, now that you're coming into the office for a cardiologist and you're worried about your heart rate or your potential for an arrhythmia, let's put a medical grade diagnostic device on you and really assess what we want to do next, if anything. And those are really important, critical decisions that doctors need to make. 
the difference between one diagnosis and the other could be a procedure, or it could be one medication or a different medication, or it could be nothing. So physicians are going to rely on super high quality clinical grade product and signal in those cases, but consumer diagnostics are going to open up more patients coming in the door for that type of diagnostic. Has your company culture or your company sociology, makeup, uh, et cetera, changed through this year? You know, we were um, on a very clear path to improving our diversity and our inclusion and belonging in the company. This is something that when I walked in, we, we embraced and uh, felt it was an important step for us to take. The events, not so much the pandemic, but certainly the events around George Floyd, the social upheaval that resulted around racism and policing, you know, certainly helped to accelerate and support everything we were doing to improve diversity and inclusion within our workforce and make it more representative of our of our customers. And the, really the source of doing that was pretty simple. It's just the right thing to do. And it also leads to better innovation. If you want to be in a company that innovates, you need to have an inclusive mindset and a diverse set of ideas. And that comes through diversity of your workforce. So we were on this path already. And I would say the events of the summer with George Floyd served as a larger accelerant for us doubling down in some of those areas of, of those initiatives. And we're really proud of the work we've done. You know, one third of our board now is, is female and or black. My senior management team is now 50-50 between male, female, and, and about 25% African-American. So it, we've made good progress. I think our representation at the board level and the executive level is much more appropriate now. And we're proud of the progress we're making in the company. And it's proving to be a differential advantage for us. We're able to recruit and retain some very high quality talent around the country and around the world because of our initiatives that we have here and our resource groups that allow for Hillrom to be a place where people bring their best self to work and they do their best work because of the environment that we create that's a safe environment for everybody. Well, now this is a question that could be asked of a physician or somebody in the government or the WHO, but from your seat in the corner office at Hillrom, what do you hear about the likelihood of another and another and another pandemic? And how differently are we prepared now, assuming that there is some continuity of this one and maybe other things? How's the world look different from that standpoint? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is we've realized, particularly in certain countries, we don't have enough hospital capacity in the ICU, especially. We are forced into more aggressive levels of shutdown because of ICU capacity and healthcare capacity for a pandemic like this. And that's been more acute in Europe than it has in the United States. So the result of that is there is expansion taking place to add more capacity to healthcare systems in terms of infrastructure and personnel that's now underway in a lot of uh, advanced countries uh, with advanced healthcare systems. Secondly, the move towards virtual healthcare is a move towards increasing capacity without having more bricks and mortar. You can treat more patients in a virtual setting via telehealth with a computer screen than you can by adding more physician offices and, and hospital beds. So, you know, those two things combined, having the capacity for surge demand in our healthcare system 
is one trend that I think we'll see as a follow-on to the pandemic. And then embracing healthcare in virtual settings, in retail settings, in pharmacy settings, and in the home uh, will be something that has clearly been accelerated because of the pandemic. And many of those trends will continue to, uh, to stick with us going forward because it gives, again, better access to everybody and it, it expands the supply of healthcare for the population. I know that Hillrom has been very active in acquisitions of different areas. You've already talked about moving to digitization and playing a role in that, but are there any ways we haven't discussed that one year, two year, three years out that Hillrom and companies like you in this industry are going to be operating differently than you were five years ago beyond what you've already told us about digitization and connected care? I think the one area that is tangible is you're going to see a lot more smartphones in the healthcare environment, especially in the hospital, probably in the physician's office and in the further future. But in the hospital setting, if you think about your life, our lives with the, our reliance increasingly on smartphones and all the digital apps that we have, those same technologies are coming into healthcare and improving the efficiency of where healthcare workers spend their time. They'll know with smart technology and smart alerts to their phone what patients need them when and what patients need their attention sooner so they can avoid a serious complication and a trip to the ICU. Those technologies are underway and a part of the solutions that we're developing, but also you know, several other companies are working on, is how do you bring real-time sensing at the bedside to a smartphone at a caregiver's hand or in their pocket so they know which patients need their attention right away from everything from something simple to something much more complex and uh, life-threatening. So those technologies are coming in. We, we mentioned earlier the technology that's going to really push healthcare into the home more and into the retail setting more. So we'll be better prepared, you think, for the next pandemic if one comes. Of course, we don't know exactly the nature of it, but is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that's a very fair statement. I think we're going to need to do a, a very thorough post-pandemic review of everything we learned and everything we need to be prepared for. Had this virus taken a slightly different turn and it was going to put a bigger demand on ICUs and ventilators, it would have been a very different outcome. Fortunately, we were, you know, the industry at large, including pharmaceutical and biotech, was able to respond quickly with better therapeutics, vaccines, better testing. But we all know we there were moments where we stumbled and were slow to uh, expand things. So I think I think we'll be much we should be much more prepared if we take the lessons learned from this pandemic and apply them to the future. I mean, it's already reached us. I mean, I've had telehealth appointments because I don't want to go to the, the doctor's office or the hospital. My son has a whoop, which he's a college athlete. That's been very helpful to him. I know somebody that's doing something on their phone for diabetes, uh, insulin management. So Hill Roms, you're going to be, sounds like more and more involved in, in those sorts of areas and apps and devices and all kinds of things. Yep, that's right. Well, this has been incredibly illuminating. And, you know, we're all sitting out here. Most of us are not like you with a stake in an understanding of some aspect of this thing. So to hear what you have to say is tremendously, like I say, illuminating. Is there anything else that we ought to know about from where you sit that I haven't asked you? I think we covered the ground pretty well. I would say that 
this last 11 months has felt like, obviously, to many of us, like three or four years have passed by, maybe even more. <laughs> I'm sure. Because um, so much has changed so quickly. And, and it's just impressive to me how adaptable and how resilient our organization has been, our society has been, and we've been able to really adapt and adjust. And it was like I touched on in one part of our discussion to see that cross industry collaboration take place with just because we knew we needed to do it. And there was no formal agreements in place in any of that. It was just, we all rallied together to, to respond to the pandemic and uh, got through the worst of it. I do feel like we are at this point, there's reason for optimism, uh, lots of it with vaccines ramping up with therapies being much better with our healthcare workers being protected more and more, they're not getting sick and they're able to treat more patients as a result. And importantly, the hospitalizations and death rates are, are dropping dramatically now. So uh, if we can get through the next few months and ramp up vaccinations as quickly as possible, I think we're in a good place with this pandemic and this virus. And then we'll need to take on the lessons learned for more sustained readiness in the future. John Gordelers, Thank you very much for your help and your thoughts. And we're all grateful to all y'all who have helped so much with this pandemic because it's finally maybe coming a little bit under control. So thank you. Thank you. It's uh, our honor to do our part. Appreciate the interview. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops. Available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.